As Jesse said, we are finishing a series. There was a, it, it was so cacophonous and loud when you all screamed experiencing God all at the same time to answer his question. But that is the sermon series we're finishing. And it's been a fun one. Um, we've looked at how sometimes God works most powerfully and miraculously when we take big risks in our faith. We also looked at how God is such a loving father that he wants to seek and to give gifts and life to his children, like completely abundantly all the time. He's just always on our side, always fighting for us and just tells us, ask, just ask, seek and knock for what you want. We talked about how, when we meet Jesus, he convicts us of our sin, but in the most loving and transformative way where he gives us dignity and renewed purpose. And last week, as Jesse spoke, we talked about the ultimate experience of God in heaven and the hope that we have for eternity with him. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about what's between now and then. What's between life-changing, transformative experiences and the ultimate eternal joy in heaven? What experience do we have of God when it isn't miraculous or it isn't profound when it's not necessarily amazing or moving or glamorous. Specifically, I'm going to ask, like, what is it like to experience God when life is hard? Much of our life with God is a life of, and this is a very unglamorous word, perseverance. Perseverance is an important topic, though, even if it's not glamorous, because it's mentioned in the New Testament, which is the latter half of the Bible, 21 times in 10 books by five different authors. And these are all in letters that the original church leaders were writing to new believers, new churches, young Christians, Christians meaning at the time little Christs, this community of people spread throughout the known world at the time, trying to live life as Christ lived. And all these leaders felt that they really needed to know a lot about perseverance. It was clearly an encouragement and a reminder that they needed, that perseverance was part of life. And that's a reminder and encouragement that we need also. So today we're talking about persevering with God. Fun, right? Yay. Okay. It's all right. Sometimes we just have to talk about hard things. So we're going to look at a scripture from the New Testament in second Peter, which is the second letter that the apostle Peter wrote to believers Before we dive into that, would you pray with me? Lord God, help us to know you better today. To know your love for us, your care for us, and what it means for you to be with us, whether or not we can feel you, whether or not we think we're experiencing you in the hard times. Please join us now. Amen. All right, so diving into 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Follow along with me. His, God's, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Perseverance. All right. Depending on how you translate it, uh, other Bibles would tell you that it's the word steadfastness or patient endurance. And there it is stuck in the middle of this passage that we looked at. And I truly believe it's at the heart of it, the heart of what Peter is trying to convey. And so what is he talking about in this passage? Just a quick overview. He begins by reminding the, the people who are reading his letter that God's divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life. And later on, he reminds them that that really starts with the cleansing of our sins. The precious promises that he talks about lead to a godly life, to this divine nature. And he compares that with worldly corruption and evil desires. All of this is given to us. It's a gift of the grace of Jesus. He gave us freedom from sin which is worldly corruption. And in getting that, we have relationship with God, renewed, restored relationship with our creator, and ultimately the promise of the eternal kingdom. These are given by God. They're gifts to us. And we receive them by faith if we believe. Boom, done. All right, easy. Living as a Christian is so easy, right? No, well, there's this whole chunk in the middle about all these things that he encourages people to do to live out their faith. And then he says, we must confirm our calling and election. This is a passage about living life as believers on this earth. And in kind of contemporary parlance uh, among vineyard churches, of which we are one, there's a phrase called the already and the not yet. God's kingdom has come. Jesus began bringing God's kingdom to the earth, but it's also still on its way. We live, our entire existence is in the midst of a spiritual battle. God is fighting evil powers to rescue people and restore all of creation. And we get to be a part of that, which is really cool, but it is a battle. So it's hard. And that's why we live a life of perseverance, which is about sticking with it through the hardships. It is invigorating and inspiring when God does amazing, miraculous things, as we've discussed for the past few weeks. But today, I want to ask, what about when our prayers go unanswered? What about when the attack seems constant, without relief? What about when God is just silent, when we can't hear his voice? So my question today is, how can we persevere? Or, putting it another way, how can we experience God when we're not experiencing God? First of all, I want to just say that this is absolutely normal. We do have hope and faith that God is actively at work in our lives all the time. And that's normal too, and he is. But sometimes we simply can't see him, hear him, or feel him. And that's part of life in the already and the not yet situation of God's kingdom breaking into the earth bit at a time and the promises of the fullness of it later. It's why the early church needed so many reminders about perseverance. 
We read about the miracles occurring among the first believers, people getting healed left and right of crazy things, God showing up in such incredible, unbelievable ways. But then those people who were saved had to keep on living life. Months, years, decades beyond those miracles. And of course they were still happening all around them, but it wasn't like it was constant. Living life as a Christian is a life of perseverance. Miracles and the really cool stuff of experiencing God isn't everything. And so it's easy to imagine that the early church had this hard transition back to kind of a normal life. It was a new life with new identity. But it wasn't yet heaven. And so Peter tells them and tells us to confirm our calling, to keep walking out a godly life every day. Just to let you know that you aren't alone if you've ever felt this, there's a story about a famous person named Mother Teresa. Does anyone remember her? Can I get a show of hands? I realized, like, it's been 22 years since she passed away. But she was such a significant figure in the 20th century among believers. She was a famous Romanian nun who was serving the poorest orphans in Calcutta, in India, for decades and decades. But after she died, and I'm going to quote this book, God on Mute, which was a big inspiration for me today. The Roman Catholic Church collected her diaries, and they found in them some surprising things. Here's a diary entry from Mother Teresa in 1958. My smile is a great cloak that hides a multitude of pains. People think that my faith, my hope, and my love are overflowing, and that my intimacy with God and union with his will, his will fills my heart, if only they knew. Her diaries were full of decades of doubt. In an obituary, a popular newspaper in Rome wrote, the real Mother Teresa was one who for one year had visions and who for the next 50 had doubts until her death. Commenting on this, one priest described Mother Teresa's doubts as a purification process, adding that it is also part of sainthood. It's an argument reflecting a long Christian tradition that regards the experience of God's absence not as an enemy of faith, but rather as the very substance of greater faith and intimacy. Martin Luther goes so far as to call God absconditus Deus, literally the God who goes missing. And the basis for this is Christ's own experience of forsakeness on the cross, a moment that speaks profoundly about the meaning of God's silence. We want God to answer our prayers through powerful interventions, admits Tim Chester, but in the cross we recognize by faith the presence of God in weakness. The silence remains silent, but we see in the cross the hidden God who is with us in our suffering. So again, this is a book called God on Mute by Pete Grieg. I recommend it. You can ask me to borrow my copy. We're not alone in this. It's part of the Christian life. Mother Teresa was a symbol of hope and faith and commitment to God, but only after her death did we learn how she was persevering through decades of doubt. God revealed himself to her in the beginning of her ministry. And through her perseverance, he revealed himself to the world. In spite of God's silence, she lived out her calling. 
How did she do it? And how do we do it? How do we persevere? How can we experience God when we're simply not? I'm going to go through four very practical, simple tools or disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that I believe are useful, as Peter points out in our passage. This is by no means an exhaustive list. If you pick up the Bible and read the New Testament, all these letters that the early church fathers were writing to new believers were about this, were about living out the life of faith in the already and the not yet. And the first one is that we can persevere with God through hard and dry seasons if we read. In 2 Peter 1, verse 5, Peter writes that we should add to our faith goodness and to our goodness, knowledge. God has given us his word in the Bible. And however silent and distant he may seem, we can always experience him in his word. Okay, the Bible. For some of you, this is like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, of course you're talking about the Bible. Read it. But for others, we have to admit this is an intimidating ancient text that people argue over endlessly. In the public sphere, it seems to cause fights more than it offers hope. And knowing that only makes it especially strange and alien when we open it up and we see history, we see poetry, we see prophecy, we see letters, and we see long lists of people who lived like 4,000 years ago. It's all mashed up into one book that's also 66 different books together. It's hard to get. It's an intimidating thing. But when we take a broader look at the whole story of the Bible... We see the story of the God who created everything with love and purpose. And despite his enemy, Satan, the liar, the deceiver, messing it all up and humans turning their back on him, there's a story throughout of God who keeps showing up to rescue them. Through thousands of years and countless translations, the Bible retains a power to change lives. And the Bible itself explains this, that It has the power of God, the power of words from God, how through God's word, all things were spoken into being, including us. And in fact, that Jesus, the son of God, is God's word become flesh. All of God's creation intent and his rescue and redemption, all written about in the Bible, are embodied by the person of Jesus himself. And if God, if the word of God is Jesus, then this verse from the book of Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 12, makes all the more sense. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is powerful, not always in the easiest way, too. I'm only skimming the surface here of how, in our most desperate times, we can experience God simply by reading. Our experience can be different depending on how we read. We can know God more by reading his word for information. We can also experience transformation by meditating on God's word, by letting it soak up into our lives. Or a bonus, not just read, we can, we can recite God's word. We can read and recite it to persevere. That's what we do when we worship together in song. So many of the lyrics of the songs that we sing together are straight out of the Bible. And reciting and singing and proclaiming God's word fills our minds with it all the more. And in a tough season, it may not feel like anything, but engaging with God's word will help us persevere simply by filling our lives with the truth rather than lies. Moving on, Peter continues in the passage. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness 
and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. How can we persevere? Well, we can relate to each other. Goodness, mutual affection, love, these are relationship words. And it goes on a little bit later in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. We're a family. People who've chosen to follow Jesus become brothers and sisters. We share in his inheritance that God has given him. God is alive in each of us by his Holy Spirit. So we can actually experience God through each other. In fact, we need each other. But it's tricky. Like, it's easy when you think of an inspirational poster, like, teamwork, you can't do it alone. But the reality of life is harder. As followers of Christ, we all have that already and that not yet life. We have one foot in the divine and one foot in the world. All of us are sinful and broken somehow, yet being restored by God. All of us are part of that healing process for each other. That's hard. Just take a second and look around the room. Maybe you're new and you don't know anybody. It's all blank to you. But if you've been around for a little bit, you know some people. And you might see people that you think, wow, I can really trust them in the hard times in my life. You might see other people and think, their mess is nothing like mine and I can't handle it. (laughs) Or you might see somebody and think, their mess is way too much like mine and I cannot handle it. And our gut, our flesh, the world tells us to run away, find easier relationships. But the result of that is division. God tells us, work it out together. And the result of that is reconciliation. Jesus prayed before he was crucified, right before he went to the cross. This is in the Gospel of John chapter 17. He prayed that the believers, all the believers in the world, would be one. That by our unity, the world would know God. Unity is otherworldly, but it's also part of our calling. Jesus spent tons of time as he was going around in his ministry teaching about simple rules for conflict resolution. He said, in fact, we must forgive each other or he won't forgive us. That's how seriously he takes this. But if we stick with it through the difficulty, if we don't run by God's grace for us and our grace for each other, we may eventually get to the sweet spot of knowing each other, of being known by each other, of trusting each other. A teacher that I really respect and has been influential in my life, his name is Andy Comiskey, what he calls this is that we're grace with faces. That's the church. That's the body of believers. We can be what it takes for each other to persevere through despair, through doubt, through grief, through the hardest times of life. Sometimes all you need in a moment of grief is somebody just sitting next to you, just silent, just being there so you know you're not alone. And in doing that, they reveal the truth that God is with us. And he may be silent, but he's there. We are not alone. Our sisters and our brothers can help us remember that God is present, whether we feel it or not. And it's important to remember things. Peter, in our passage this morning, is writing what his readers have probably already learned, but they need to be reminded. They need encouragement to remember. And that's our next tool for persevering. How can we persevere? We can remember. We can remember 
even in seasons of God's silence, what he has done in the past, the ways he has led us to where we are now, and the things we already have to be thankful for, no matter how long ago it was, if God did something in your life, it's still true. It still means something. In fact, remembering is a central aspect of being God's people. Beginning with the original people that he called out from the people of the world, the original Jewish people, starting with Abraham. We read in the stories of the Old Testament that remind us of God's timing and perseverance. God promised Abraham and Sarah a nation of descendants, and they kept not having a baby until Abraham was 100 years old. The Jews were captive in Egypt for 400 years until Moses led them out by God's power. Then when they came out, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he said, here's how I want you to live. But you know, the Ten Commandments don't start with commandment number one. They start with a reminder of what God's people should remember. The Ten Commandments start with this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then he goes into the Ten Commandments. Why should we live this way? Because this is our God. He's the rescuing God who gives us salvation, who rescues us, who saves us. That's why we should pay attention to how he wants us to live. And in the Old Testament, the story of the ancient Israelites, it goes on and it's very dramatic. And a lot of people remember, but a lot of them really don't. Then there are these guys who hear God's voice. They're called prophets. And they keep trying to remind people. Remember what God did for you. Remember the covenant he made with you, that you would live and live abundantly. The prophets were ignored too. Sometimes people listened to them, but not much. And then even the last, when the last prophet spoke, 400 more years, 400 or more years went by before the birth of Jesus, before what the prophet said was the better future rescue that God has planned, something bigger than anyone could imagine. 400 years of silence from God. But some remembered. Some were faithful, even in all that time, passing the memory, the collective memory of being God's people down from generation to generation. Now, that's big picture remembering. But I'll ask you, if you've ever experienced God in any way in your life, what do you remember that can help you persevere? When did God intersect your life? There's a few significant moments when God became undeniable to me. That's why I have faith in him. That's why I know he's good and he's true. He shared with me in those moments undeniable love and purpose. I have a name for this, which is I call them anchor moments. Because my faith is anchored in them, regardless of all the opposition I face in life from family, friends, culture, or circumstances. I can be swayed a lot of different ways in my mind, but I think about the moments that anchor me to God. What are your anchor moments, if you have any? Think about that. One of mine involved a time when I really did need God the most, though I wasn't quite aware of it, but he came and reminded me that I had turned away from him, and he called me back to himself. And that leads me to my last point which is how can we persevere? We can repent. Sometimes, not always, God seems gone because it's actually us who've turned away from him. And to experience him, we need to repent, which just means turning, turning back to God. 
When Peter says to confirm your calling and election, that's about that choice, choosing to live life with God. And it's not just a one-time decision. It's an ongoing relationship that in the battle, the spiritual battle of this world, we need to make that choice over and over and over again. Now, sometimes the need for repentance may not seem obvious because on the surface, it all looks good. But as humans, we are inclined to make our own way and little choices here and there can eventually have an effect as much as very big choices. Maybe you used to spend a lot of time reading God's word and it's just a little bit less and a little bit less. Maybe you spend a little bit less time around other believers who can encourage you. Maybe you spend a little bit less time over the months and years in prayer. And by the way, these little things, individual choices, like if you skip church one Sunday, that's not a sin. You're not going to be punished for that. But if you zoom out from your own life and look at the trajectory, what do you see about how you're spending your time, how you're spending your money, how you're spending your effort? What does that reveal about your priorities? And without noticing through a lot of little decisions, we can easily make all kinds of things other than God our source and our pride. We want what is tangible. That's a part of being human. We want what we can see and touch and feel and hear. And like every human ever, there's just a point where we just say, nah, I'm good. I'll be on my own. Don't need you, God. And we might not even notice it if it's just a lot of little decisions. The longest time I spent away from God in my life actually wasn't so subtle. It was bookended by two of those anchor moments in my life. When I was in high school, I met God personally for the first time. I had grown up going to church, always believed in him, but he became real to me. It was actually through a Bible study in a book called, wait for it, Experiencing God. It's been around for decades. I guess it's really popular, but a friend thought that she would share it with a few of us. And during that time, I met God personally. I was hearing his voice in prayer. He came to me in, in such powerful ways. But one time as I was praying, he came to me in a vision, and he told me to leave the church I had grown up in. I cried. I screamed. I complained. I might have punched the wall. But I knew it was him who told me to do that. I wasn't sure why at the time, but I knew. Eventually, I came to learn that he was leading me to a place where I could grow even more. Which isn't to say that the church I had grown up in was bad. Not at all. But he had something more for me. And so I followed that advice. But in doing so, there was a lot of division with my family. The experience of following God, of taking that risk, was so jarring that I effectively closed my ears to him. I no longer wanted, even though I was faithful in that moment, to be told to do hard, life-changing things. I just didn't want it again. I was like, well, one big choice like that's enough. So as I finished high school, went through college, and moved to Los Angeles, I refused him a say in my education, my career, my relationships and sexuality, everything about the way I lived. And on the surface, it all looked fine. I kept going to church every Sunday. I remember being jealous of people in my college small group about their experience of God, how they were hearing his voice so much, but he was silent to me. Now I look back and know that he was at work in my life through that whole time. 
But at the time, I just wasn't having it. I didn't really let him lead me until I had come to Los Angeles, and this crazy experience happened that could only be God. I was on a flight. I had gone back to Chicago, where I went to school, for a film premiere that I worked on. And flying back was this friend I hadn't seen in years, a friend I went to church with in college, who had also moved to Los Angeles. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I need God. So I told this friend, like, can you tell me where the churches are? Like, where can I go and find other believers? In that moment, God used this friend to perform a little miracle through relationship, through somebody I had known and trusted. And he brought remembrance back to me suddenly of like when things were going really well. And I wanted that and I hungered for it. And that eventually led me to a church and more importantly, to a place of repentance. I said, okay, God, I'm yours again, and I'm willing to follow you and live how you want me to. And that broke the silence. I finally decided that my whole life could be his, and I heard from him again. And for years, all he ever said to me in prayer was, Patrick, I love you. I just kept needing to hear it. Patrick, I love you. I'm going to invite our band to come back up. We'll wrap up this talk in a minute and then have a time of ministry and prayer. And we'll finish together with one last worship song. But I just want to say that my talk has been focused primarily on people who know God and are maybe facing a season of doubt. How can we experience God when it wasn't the way it used to be or at one time or another? This has been about painful times and dry seasons and persevering through them. But this final call, the call to repentance, it's for everyone. All of us, at one point or another, have chosen our own way in life, ignoring the God who created us and who loves us. We all fall short of what he has. But we know from God's living and active word that he loves the world so much, he gave his son Jesus to make a way for us to have eternal life with him. And that begins in this age, on this earth, however broken and messy it is. Now, it may not seem like a great invitation to a life with Jesus to talk about how that life may be full of long, unbearable stretches of doubt, despair, and even pain. But guess what? That's the world we live in. That's what the world is. There's despair and pain all around us. The difference is that if we include Jesus in our lives, we have assured hope for something better. And in the midst of our pain and doubt, we can be comforted that Jesus is with us. And he knows exactly what we're experiencing. Before he was crucified, he prayed to God that he wouldn't have to go through with it. God was silent. He bore the pain of torture with no respite or relief. And in the midst of, his all, midst of it all, his father abandoned him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lowered himself to serve all of us, to take our place as punishment for our sin. And then in God's timing, through what, probably what was an unbearable couple of days, where no answers were given to anyone, then he was given life again. And in that resurrection, our sin 
the death we are promised to face because of our sin no longer have power over us anymore. It's finished. Jesus gives us life and the promise for a kingdom of eternity in heaven. So with Jesus, we can find true life and we can find purposeful life in this broken world. We have hope for so much more. And it's a life that he empowers, as Peter writes in the beginning of our passage, with everything we need, whether it feels that way or not. So just before we go into our last worship song, I'm going to invite us to pray to Jesus.